You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. I jumped ship, I didn't jump into another boat. I jumped into the water and I pulled my wife and my children with me. I jumped into a sea of uncertainty. I would call myself a hopeful agnostic, meaning I don't know, but I hope. I hope there's something. And the question that I've gotten from some people who are close to me, people who love me, what do you think happens after you die? I don't know. I'm reasonably certain that you don't burn in hell because you're intellectual, curious, and honest, to put it bluntly. But I'm more interested in now, what I do when I live Because the only thing that I know that I've got is this life. Those are the recent words from Rhett McLaughlin. Campus crusade missionary turned YouTube comedian sensation turned unbeliever along with his buddy Link. Yesterday, the Gospel Coalition posted a helpful commentary on what they're calling their deconversion. The stories themselves weren't so different from others that have lit up social media over the past few years. For Reddit started with questions regarding science, the age of the earth, and evolution. It morphed into doubts surrounding biblical reliability, the historicity of the the resurrection, and the general idea of hell and judgment. But as both Rhett and Link recounted, there was something brewing underneath the intellectual questions. They both felt a deep discomfort with biblical sexual ethics, which they perceived to oppress women and their LGBTQ plus friends. If you will open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 13. We've been studying through the book of Genesis and we're to verse 14 of chapter 13. But I want to begin reading in chapter in verse one of verse 13. And then we will focus our attention on verses 14 through 18. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite 
and the Perizzite were there dwelling in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between me and you, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go down to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. Here's our text this morning. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, and I will give it to you. For I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word says you are the one who searches hearts. And I pray this morning that you would search out doubts. And you would bring them into the light. Father, I pray that you would teach us to put our doubts under the same level of scrutiny that we put your truth. Father, I pray that you would search out every heart that is secretly straying. Maybe closest friends don't know, but your spirit knows. I pray that you would draw us to Christ. Bind us to Him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'd like for us to walk through this text kind of as if we were, we were like a camera crew filming this story. And I want us to focus on different people as this story unfolds. And the first person that I want us to focus on is Lot. I want you to notice that it's very clear that it's, it's Lot's actions that are in the background of what the Lord says to Abram in verse 14. We see this so clearly. The Lord said to Abram, but, but here's the occasion. The Lord's getting ready to say this to Abram after Lot had separated from him. Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants after you. Let's remember that Lot has been with Abram basically from the very beginning. Lot early on lost his daddy. Abram took him under his wing. He goes with Abram out of Ur to Haran, from Haran, into the land of Canaan, from the land of Canaan, into the land of Egypt, from the land of Egypt, back into the land of Canaan. But then, 
In verses 1 through 13, we see that, that they're coming out of Egypt wealthy. Lots of money and lots of flocks. And the, and the pasture that their flocks are on are not able to sustain all their flocks. And so Abram says, listen, let's, let's not be in strife. The herdsmen were beginning to argue over, over probably over grass and over water. Let's, let's separate from each other. And, and Abram says a lot, listen, lot, whatever you want, you look and you find the best part of the land and you have that because I want there to be peace between us. If you go this way, I'm going to go this way. If you go that way, I'll go the other way. Let there be peace. Peace. And so Lot leaves. When we come to this text, I think it's just important for us to remember that we're dealing with two very real human beings. And when someone you have leaves you, it hurts. Someone that you love, if they choose money or another romantic partner over you, whatever the case may be, when someone you love leaves, it hurts. Abram and Lot have been through tough times together. There's pain when the people we love leave. But we can relate to Lot, can't we? Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees that land. He's like, that, that land would be good for me. That, that land is going to be what's best for me. And Abram's the one who told me to have first pick. There's plenty of land left for him. And it's going to be better because all of our flocks are not going to be on top of each other. And, and he's, he's the one who came up with this in the first place. And it's going to be good because our herdsmen are not going to be arguing with, the, with each other. And this was his idea to begin with. And our, our people are fighting. There's going to be a lot less conflict. And he's the one who told me to pick first. And you look at the text, you see, what does not to love about the land that Lot chose? Look at verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan. It was well watered. It was like the garden of the Lord. Lot, Lot thinks his life is going to be so much easier away from Abram. He didn't have to deal with Abram's people. Even more wealth is almost guaranteed. Gratification is going to be immediate. And so Lot separates from Abram. And verse 11 says that he, he moved east. Now, if we were filming a movie, this would be the time that, that very low, dark, ominous music would begin playing. When we read in verse 11... That Lot journeyed eastward. What we're reminded over and over in the book of Genesis, where we're talking about the Tower of Babel, or even back further when, when, when Adam and Eve leave and go east from the Garden of Eden, this is signaling to us that Lot is moving away from the presence and the blessing of the Lord. With that, let's turn our attention to the main character. Of this story, the one speaking in verses 14 through 17. I say this over and over as we read a text of scripture. You, you read a text like this and you're okay, well, what does this mean? 
And one of the best questions that you can ask of any text, so tomorrow morning, when you open up your Bible, and I plead with you tomorrow morning to open up your Bible, open up your Bible and open to whatever text that you're going to study, and a great question to ask of that text is, is Lord, show me everything this text teaches me about you. It's just amazing before we even ask that question. Isn't it amazing that we have a God who wants you to know Him? A God who reveals Himself to you. Who, who, as it were, pulls back the veil, text after text. This veil that was spun by our sin. And He pulls back that veil so that we can get little glimpses into what He's like. Our God is asking us to ask this question. Show me what you're like in this text. I want you to notice a few things from the text. I want you to notice first, notice his God's tender care for Abram. Lot, who's basically a son to Abram, has just left Abram basically over money, and Abram is hurt. God knows he's hurt. And so God Almighty, the creator of the universe, The one who measures the heavens, not in billions of light years, but the Bible says, by the span of his fingers. That God stoops to encourage Abram. Genesis 13, 14 through 17. God speaks. And he speaks with promises on his lips. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it. To you. We notice next is generosity. We've, it, it seems. It's just instructive. For us to see. That what God is doing with Abraham. Is he's giving Abraham freely. What Lot was trying to grab. We've seen this before. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 11. When the whole world used the same language and they came together in Genesis chapter 11. And then they're going to build for themselves a city and a tower whose, whose top would reach the heavens. You remember, the, you remember the reason that they wanted to do that? Let's get together, they said, and let's make a name for ourselves. You go to the next chapter and God chooses this man Abram. And look at chapter 12, verse, verse 2. He says to Abram, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. The author does not want us to miss that that's exactly what's happening in this text. Look back at Genesis 13 verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the valley of the Jordan. Just as a side note, what does that remind you of? Who else have we seen lifted up their eyes and saw something beautiful and took it? Eve. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw. And then he took. But look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. Now lift up your eyes. 
And look from the place where you are northward and southward, eastward and westward. This is critical to see. God gave Abram what Lot was trying to maneuver himself to get. Lot trusted his eyes. Abram walked by faith. Can you see that? I mean, what else is there to explain? What else but faith would have led Abram to say, Lot, you have the best pick of the land. You pick whatever you want. You see, Abram is operating from faith. But he offers Lot the very best of the land. But you tell me, according to verses 14 and 15, what part of the land did Abram get? All of it. What Lot wanted, Abram receives as a gift. This is helpful for us to see. Let this sink into you that our God is attracted to humble faith. More than, more than those yellow jackets are attracted to soda cans in the summer. Here's what he says. He says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. My hand made all these things. But to this one, I will look. To the one who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. If you want to know what God is like in verses 14 through 18, be reminded that He is a God who rewards faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would come to Him must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things, Jesus says, will be added to you. Our God is kind. And our God loves to reward humble faith. Finally, let's take a look at Abram. Let's turn our cameras on Abram. Abram puts himself last and he ends up first. Abram starts out in verse 14 sad and he ends up in 18, in verse 18, worshiping. I want to draw your attention to something that's, that's obvious. And you'll say this is absolutely obvious, but I, I think it really is extremely important. I think it's the most important thing for us to walk away from this text with. And that is that, that, that Lot leaves Abram. He separates himself to find his own fortune. But what I want you to see is that the promise to Abraham didn't change. Lot leaves. But the promise to Abraham stood. Just because Lot didn't believe it, it doesn't change the fact that the blessing of God is going to flow through Abram. We saw this in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. But notice what he says. I'm not going to stop there, Abram. I'm going to make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. People's relationship to me, Abram, will depend on their relationship with you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is simple, but so profound. It doesn't matter what Lot thought. It doesn't matter what Lot didn't think. God Almighty has chosen to set his affection on Abram. 
God Almighty has chosen to bless Abram. God Almighty has chosen to give Abram the promised land. God Almighty has chosen for Abram to be the conduit through which he's going to bless the whole world. And Lot's unbelief doesn't change those facts, not one little iota. Lot thought that the good life was to be found in the world, apart from Abram. But Lot was wrong. Lot thought that moving away from Abram was his ticket to the good life. But Lot was wrong. Lot thought that him parting ways with Abram would put him on the right side of history. But Lot was wrong. Lot's eyes lied to him. Lot's flesh lied to him. The enticements of the world lied to him. Lot's self-sourced wisdom lied to him. But God told Abram the truth. It was an inconvenient truth. It was a truth with very little to offer by way of immediate gratification. But it was true. It was true truth. And Abram believed what God said. And think about this. Even, God says, I'm not the God of the living. I mean, the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. Even today, as we speak, Abram is glad that he believed that truth. I hope you kind of see where we're heading. This text is bigger than a story about Abram and Lot. This text is about you. And it's about me. And it's about the draw of the world. And the promises made to you. If you will reject the enticements of the world. And trust in Jesus Christ. Can you see clues in the text that this text is pointing us to Jesus? Notice how many times Abram's descendants literally Abram's seed is mentioned three times. And we've seen this numerous times, but I'll say it again. The first thing that the New Testament has to say about Jesus is that he is the son of Abram. The very first thing the New Testament tells us, and the New Testament is very clear that he, Jesus Christ, is the promised seed of Abram. Listen to Paul in Galatians 3. Now the promises were made to Abram and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. All of a sudden, this text gets really contemporary. You ever tempted to distance yourself from Jesus? Just, just be honest. Oh, we don't talk like that in church. We, we better talk like that in church. If you are honest, you are tempted to distance yourself from Jesus. I don't want to be totally done with Him. I still want Him to be there. But I would just like to dabble a little bit in the in all the good stuff that the world has to offer me. Right? The world appeals to all of our senses. Taste. Touch, sight. The world promises pleasures that we can have 
right now. And, and walking with Jesus, let's just be honest, can be tiring. You might get tired. Especially, especially when you're trying to walk behind Him alone. If we're honest, we'll agree the world has some nice stuff. I was just, I'm just amazed. Like, like at how, like you, you, you look at ads on the internet, you look at, you look at catalogs that come, you look at the stuff at the mall, the nice stuff is just nice. Nice cars are nice. Houses are nice. And Jesus is always calling us to share. Don't sort for yourself treasures on earth. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Ever tempted just to stray away from Jesus and just enjoy a little bit of gossip? Doesn't it feel good? And yet you always got Jesus saying, listen, I don't want you talking about people. You need to talk to people. Jesus says things like this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Doesn't it feel good to lust? I looked up this morning. Just How big is the porn industry? And the answer is nobody really knows because it's so secretive. But estimates are between, on the low end, 13 billion, and on the high end, 97 billion a year. People don't spend 97 billion dollars on something that doesn't feel good. And Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, then what? Tear it out. And don't even leave it there on the counter. Throw it from you, he says. Children. Does it ever feel good to be selfish? Like, just, to, just to think about me. Like, this toy is mine. Jesus, listen to what Jesus says. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. He must say, I want it, but I don't matter. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Doesn't it feel good to clean the control? And Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. It's enticing to stray away from Jesus in little hidden things like holding grudges, right? It just, it just feels good to be right. It feels good to cling to all the privileges that come from being a victim. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, Jesus says, forgive him. Sometimes we just have to agree. It, just be, it sounds freeing just to jump off the Jesus boat. 
and just be done with all these constraints of absolute truth. And let's just become open and curious. And yet what Jesus says doesn't change. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Nobody, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Tempting just to stay quiet about Jesus. Okay, okay, Jesus, I'm with you, but, but, but let, me, let me live in the peace of my closet. Isn't it tempting to stay quiet? Just to be, just to, just to live and to let people live and believe whatever they want to. Isn't it tempting just to be a good, likable friend and a good, really likable family member and a good, really likable parent and a good, really likable neighbor and never bring up the thorny subject of Jesus? Let's just, let's just, let's just be quiet about things like fornication and adultery and pornography and homosexuality and queer culture and abortion. And yet Jesus keeps saying, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory with the glory of the Father and the holy angels. That's the whole point. That's the point, regardless of what the culture thinks, regardless of what celebrities think, regardless of what the coolest people on YouTube think, regardless of how unpopular Jesus is, regardless of how far away the culture wants to move away from Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is coming with glory with His Father and the holy angels, and He's going to claim what is His, namely, the obedience of the whole world and every square inch of the universe. It's going to be his. Lot was not the first to desert. And he won't be the last. Remember Judas? Remember Demas? Think about this. Philippians 24, Paul calls Demas along with Mark and Luke, his fellow worker. At the very end of Paul's life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this to Timothy, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. I think the words of 1 John 2 are very appropriate right now. In fact, I want you to turn there so you can see it. 1 John chapter 2, it's on page 1219 if you have one of those black pew Bibles in front of you. But toward the very, very end of the Bible... There's Revelation in Jude, and then if you keep coming back to 1 John, look at 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, 
And the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away. And also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. In John chapter 6, Jesus had some really hard words that were difficult for people to swallow. Words like this, I am the bread of life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. In in other words, Jesus is saying, your only hope of living is putting your hope in my dying. And listen to what John says in verses 66 through 68. As a result of this, Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Peter responds with words that I hope resonate in your heart and reverberate in your heart, come out of your heart every day from this day forward. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So to borrow the thoughts, if not the exact words from Calvin. Faith is the beholding of absent things. And the situation of Christians today is just like Abram's. We too can expect to be hated by all. Exposed to contempt and reproach. Wandering without a home. Sometimes driven from here to there. And suffering from nakedness and poverty. But. It is nevertheless our duty to lay hold of the inheritance which is promised. Let us walk, therefore, through the world as persons excluded from all repose, who have no other resource, no other hope, no other anchor than the promises of God made to us in Jesus Christ. You see in Genesis 13, That it was Jesus, the seed of Abram, who is the ultimate inheritor of the promises that were made to Abram. And he will have, Romans chapter 4, we can't go there now, we'll go there later. In Romans chapter 4, it says that the promise was actually made to Jesus that he wouldn't just inherit the land. You can look at verse 13, he would inherit the whole world. But first he was treated like Lot should have been treated. Thrown outside the camp. Beaten. Mocked. Humiliated. Hung to drown in his own blood. In order to pay 
for all those who have separated themselves. So the Bible says, let's go to him. Outside the camp. Bearing his reproach. Because here we don't have a lasting city. We're seeking the city which is to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would be at work. I pray that you would be at work with with your double-edged sword. The sword that would expose our sin and then your word of promise and grace that promises to receive sinners who come back home. Father, we're reminded of the prodigal son who went and gave himself to all the pleasures of the world. Deserved to be thrown out of the family and yet he came back. And he was received. And a ring was put on his finger. And the finest robe was put on his back. And shoes were put on his feet. And he was called a son. I pray, Father, that you would work. That you would bring people who are tempted to stray. You'd bring them home. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.